0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Over the course of the pandemic, 11 provinces and territories have seen an increase in the toxicity of illicit drugs. And in BC, a report reveals more drug deaths in the first six months of 2021 than that province has ever seen. How do you know it's not laced with something?
1: I don't. You know what? It's just a roulette wheel.
0: By now, anyone paying attention knows that drugs are more potent, users are in more danger, and the overdose crisis is spiraling out of control. So far in Canada though, most steps taken to prevent deaths have been half measures. Designed to help, if possible, but also not to rock the boat of the status quo. There are places around the world that are doing things differently. And this week, one of our provinces joined them, just a little, as a test. January 31st, 2023, adults 18 and over in British Columbia will no longer be subject to criminal charges for the possession of up to 2.5 grams of certain illegal drugs for personal use British Columbia is decriminalizing drugs, some drugs, some amounts, for a few years, and we'll see how it goes. For people invested in harm reduction, or people who worry about a loved one who uses, or people in the healthcare system who see the results daily. This measure is a true glass half-full or half-empty test. Is it a massive step that will change the course of Canada's approach to the O.D. crisis? Or is it too little, too late? Another example of our policymakers doing just about the least they can do while still moving forward. Or is it both of those things? Whatever it is, we will find out starting next January in B.C. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Manisha Krishnan is a senior editor at Vice News. Among her beats is drug policy. Hi, Manisha. Hi, Jordan. Why don't you just start by telling us what happened in British Columbia on Tuesday in the fight against the overdose crisis?
1: Yeah, so yesterday, Canada's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Carolyn Bennett, announced that the federal government would be giving BC an exemption to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, allowing for BC to decriminalize small amounts of drugs. Um, So basically what this means is that as of January next year, people who are caught with very small amounts of drugs will no longer be arrested.
0: And we're going to talk about the details um, of that exemption in just a minute. But first, um, in terms of your beat, how big a deal is this in terms of Canada's approach to the problem?
1: It is a big deal. I mean, it is the first jurisdiction in Canada to decriminalize possession of drugs. And, you know, it's really, besides Oregon, it's the only place that's doing that. Um, I think it's sort of sending the message that this is not a criminal issue, this is a public health issue. So I think on a philosophical level, you know, in terms of destigmatizing drug use and changing people's attitudes and how they view drug users, it's an important step. Um, You know, but in terms of will it actually save lives, I mean... It could because when people are arrested and they go to jail um, and they're released again, they're actually at higher risk of overdose because their tolerances go down while they're in jail. Um, And, you know, recently that actually happened to a subject who I was talking to for a documentary that I was working on where he went to jail, he got out of jail and he immediately overdosed and died. Hmm. Um, So it is, it it is a big deal. Um, But at the same time, There are a lot of other, you know, arguably more radical measures that I think are probably needed to address this crisis because the potency of the drugs, the toxicity of the drugs is just really, really bad right now.
0: Let's first talk maybe about the philosophical part of this approach. Can you rewind a bit? Why do uh, drug policy experts and harm reduction advocates think that decriminalization is critical to solving this crisis? Like, what's the general thinking behind this?
1: You know, I think the general thinking is that criminalization does not work. It forces people to use drugs in secret, um, perhaps using higher doses of those drugs, which can put them at higher risk of overdose. You know, it also traps people in the criminal justice system and in poverty, um, which which can be a barrier to seeking treatment. Or as I just said, it can also put them at high risk of overdose if they go into jail and they sort of, um, you know, get sober and then come out and use right again, especially with kind of the advent of fentanyl and these super strong synthetic drugs that aside, we know that a lot of these drug arrests are racist. Um, right. And so there is a, a you know, very strong sort of criminal justice element to this. Um, in Vancouver, if you're Indigenous, you're eight times more likely to be arrested for drug possession than a white person. Wow. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of different elements to this.
0: And so the measures that were announced yesterday specifically, how did that come about? How did it first get on the table? And then who had to sign off on it? Like just how did the process work?
1: So it was actually Vancouver initially asked the feds for a section 56 exemption to decriminalize drugs. And I believe that was last June. And then the province followed uh, in their footsteps and they submitted their application in November. And their application sort of outlined, you know, how they would see decriminalization working in the province, you know, what threshold, like what limit of drugs would people be allowed to possess, that type of thing. Um, but really, this builds on years of what public health experts and addictions experts in in, in B.C. have been saying, including Bonnie Henry, who's their provincial health officer. Um, even the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police have come out and said that criminalization doesn't work. Mm. It's interesting that this announcement happened yesterday because today there's an NDP bill in the House of Commons that is calling for national decriminalization. And the liberals have said that they will not vote in favor of it. And so the rationale for that has been sort of vague, like, I think Trudeau said today that, you know, they don't want to do it without systems and supports in place and building up capacity and making sure there's ways to support people. Um, But really, you know, public health advocates, people have been calling for decrim for a long, long time.
0: What will decriminalization in British Columbia look like as of next January? You mentioned a limited amount of drugs. What drugs? How much? Et cetera, et cetera.
1: So this will apply to, you know, quote unquote, hard drugs. I kind of hate using that term, but, um, you know, drugs like heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, meth, you know, MDMA, it'll apply to all of those drugs. And people will be able to carry up to two and a half grams of those drugs without worrying about arrest. So if a cop busts you and you have less than that, um, they can't take your drugs away. They can't arrest you. They can't ticket you and they cannot force you to get treatment. Above those amounts, though, you can still be arrested. And, you know, people who are selling drugs can certainly still be arrested. It's not legalizing drugs and it's not legalizing trafficking or anything like that.
0: I want to take a sidestep for a minute. Why do you hate the term hard drugs?
1: I think that it's stigmatizing. Um, I think that he, it's very easy for people who smoke weed and use psychedelics to otherize people who use heroin mm. and fentanyl and, you know, the drugs that are really, that are are resulting in all of these overdose deaths. And I think that when we really differentiate um, between the users of these different types of drugs, certainly sort of on a moral scale, it's really easy to kind of brush the problem aside um, and say, well, those people are using those drugs that I would never use. And right. so maybe they deserve the consequences of that.
0: And you've been on this beat for quite some time as well. And you you already told us one story about uh, an overdose of a documentary subject. You've reported and produced a lot of heartbreaking stories uh, about people caught up in this crisis. What was your first initial gut reaction when you heard this news on Tuesday?
1: I don't want to be overly negative. I do think that this is progress. But honestly, my gut reaction is that it's not enough. If you look at what's happening in BC and you look at some of the policies there, like they have people prescribing fentanyl, to opioid users um, because they don't want them to be using the street supply. That's how bad things have gotten there. So there are already more extreme measures in place, you could argue, in BC than, than this one. Hmm. And I think that decrim, it's just one piece of the puzzle. I think the the larger problem here is the drug supply is so toxic people do not know what they're putting into their bodies. You know, even the term overdose, it's like, how can you overdose when you can't even dose properly because you don't know what you're taking? It's so bad that the fentanyl supply is now contaminated with really strong benzos or, you know, in some places, tranquilizers. Right. So my, my initial reaction is that Unfortunately, decrim does not address that issue at all. It doesn't address how bad the drug supply has gotten. And that is really what's driving these deaths.
0: Not to go on a tangent here, because we will come back to how decrim will or will not be enforced. But is there anything on the table right now anywhere in Canada that would do a better job of addressing um, the drug supply that's causing this?
1: Yeah. So there are, there's funding for small projects um, for safe supply that I think the government recently announced a bit more funding for them. Uh, but I think the problem is that they're still kind of small pilot projects. They're not widespread. They're probably most common in BC. I think there may be a couple other places that are experimenting with them. But I think that we probably need to see sort of a wide scale expansion of those programs and maybe making it easier for people to access those types of programs um, because otherwise we're just not gonna see that dramatic reduction in drug deaths.
0: In terms of BC going forward, How will decriminalization be enforced on the ground? You know, it sounds like I'm joking here, but you've already talked about the problems with racism in enforcement of quote-unquote hard drugs. Are cops going to carry around little scales and make sure that it's under 2.5 grams? How much do you trust the system to work based on those qualifications?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a great question. I do know that the cops are going to be given more funding for training. Somehow there's always a way to increase the police budget. Right. Yeah, I I don't know if they're going to carry around little scales or they're going to be eyeballing it. Um, I do worry that, you know, again, when you give cops discretion, that they will target BIPOC people because Mm -hmm. traditionally that's what's always happened. I also wonder about things like, Will we see an increase in possession for the purpose of trafficking charges, Um, you know, as opposed to just the simple possession charges? And, you know, the line between a drug seller and a drug user is really blurry. Um, There's a lot of people who sell drugs because they're addicted to drugs and it's just a source of income for them or, you know, people who share drugs, for example. So... I just wonder if we're going to start to sort of start to see those types of, you know, unintended consequences from this.
0: There's also um, a time limit on this program. Is that right? And and what is that about? And and could this rug still be yanked out? I guess uh, from under BC at some point.
1: Yeah. So right now the exemption is set to last until 2026, so three years, um, after which the government will decide whether to extend it or not. Or maybe we'll have, you know, a new measure in place by then. Who knows? Maybe decrim will be national at that point. But... This is kind of the same thing that happened with Insight, which was the first safe injection site in North America. In Vancouver, they had like a time limit and then, you know, they looked at the data and ended up extending it. Um, So I think it'll sort of follow that route.
0: One of the things that I saw um, Canadian officials, BC officials saying yesterday is that this could be a template for the rest of Canada. Where are the other provinces on this? I know, you know, we've talked before about how, you know, BC is at the forefront of this because they kind of have to be. But how far along is the rest of the country?
1: I would just add to that BC is on the forefront of this, not only because they have to be, they do have to be. It is ground zero for the OD crisis, but also it has a very strong and rich history of drug user activism. Hmm. I mean, the activism in Vancouver is really like nothing that I've seen. Um, So I just want to give credit to those people. What do you
0: mean by that? Can you describe it?
1: Well, it's just like, I, you know, when you're there and you see people who are just parked in front of a police station handing out little boxes that say cocaine, heroin, crystal meth to give people a safe supply. And that's like their form of protest. Like, you know, maybe in Canada, we're kind of used to that, but that is a very radical form of protest. And, and now, that, now that I cover the U.S., I think it's, it's even crystallized even more to me how unique Vancouver and B.C. are, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to give credit to, to the the activists who have really been pushing for all of these measures that we've seen over the years. But um, that being said, Toronto and Montreal have both expressed interest in in getting exemptions. Provincially, uh, I haven't seen like another province sort of raise their hand and say that, but perhaps it'll end up being like a city by city thing. I know Trudeau, he did say that, you know, they're interested in working with jurisdictions who want this to happen. Um, but that said, I mean, that's a bit of a slippery slope, right? Because if you have a bunch of people who are dying in your province and you have a leader who's ideologically opposed to decrim, you know, it, I, I really don't know if that's in the best interest of the, the drug users, right? right? To leave it up to, to the province who wants this there. It should really just be like, is this good? Is this going to save lives or not?
0: In terms of this being the template for other places and other jurisdictions in Canada, whether it's a a city or a province or whatever, uh, you may not know the answer to this, but... Does that mean that this is kind of the line for what the federal government will allow? And that means if, say, Toronto or Montreal or somewhere else wanted to enact decriminalization itself, it would be limited to the same sort of like 2.5 grams over three years type test run?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I do know that BC wanted a higher threshold limit and that the federal government came back and said, no, we're going to limit it to 2.5 grams. So I would honestly, yeah, I would guess that they would stick to that for the other places, you know, that they allowed this exemption.
0: You mentioned covering drug policy in the U.S. as well. Um, does this step hurt us at all uh, with our neighbors um, who are notoriously uh, anti-decriminalization?
1: I mean, I don't think so. I don't think right now. You do have Oregon, which is decriminalized. They have a harsher form of decrim than what BC will have. Like the limits are lower and you can still get a fine if you're caught with drugs. But, you know, Joe Biden, he recently mentioned harm reduction in his sort of national drug control uh, strategy and budget. And that was a historic first in the U.S. There's never been another president who has who has said the term harm reduction. Hmm. And you're seeing like de facto decrim. Like it's, it's actually happening in Baltimore as well. They're not charging people for low-level drug arrests or drug possession anymore. You are seeing a wholesale kind of momentum shift. Hmm. It is just happening at a slower pace in the U.S. Like they just opened up their first safe injection sites, you know?
0: What will you and, uh, I guess, people who fight for harm reduction be looking at in the months beginning uh, next January? You know, how how will we know if this is working? Is it as simple as, like, number of OD deaths drops?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when Portugal did this, you know, like in 2001, they had these dramatic drops in, like, HIV rates, drug deaths, I don't know if we're going to see those dramatic rates because, frankly, our drug supply is just so screwed up at this point. Mm. But I will be looking to see, you know, is there a drop in racist arrests? Are more people getting charged with possession for the purpose of trafficking? How are police using their discretion? How are they um, sort of measuring... As you said, you know, who's over the threshold limit. Like, I'll be looking to sort of see how all of those things unfold. And as always, I'll be, you know, asking the frontline drug users what they're seeing on the streets.
0: And we will probably catch up with you then um, to hear about it. Manisha, thank you for this. Thank you for all of your work on the OD crisis.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Manisha Krishnan of Vice News. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at the Big story FPN. You know how to write to us. It's hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. We've gotten some amazing episode suggestions recently. And as soon as the news stops happening, we will cover some of them. I promise. You can also call us and suggest a story or ask a question. We do have a special episode coming up for episode number 1000. So we are taking questions and you can leave them at 416-935-5935. You can also find this podcast wherever you get them, and we love it when you rate it and review it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.